We're going to kick off thinking about the Holy Spirit with a bit of an interview, if that's all right. So we will be looking at a couple of verses in Scripture, but I thought it might be good to hear about the, the work and power and presence of the Holy Spirit in a couple of people's lives today. And because we've got John and Molly with us, so John and Molly are uh, Susie's mum and dad, Susie, my wife, that I'm married to. And John and Molly, if, if you don't know, were the ones that actually started this church. Um, this church used to be called Medway Family Church, and it was started in 93, but a group moved down in 92, didn't you, which was John and Molly and uh, Susie and her brother Nick, who's up in Ipswich now. He's one of the elders in the church in Ipswich, along with uh, a few others who were around right back in those early days, including Julian and Lena, who were in the Medway Valley community. And I think, were you here there? Titus, Titus and Jeanette were even around then. And Jenny, were you there then, or you were not far off? Jenny was in the early days, and there's a few others. I don't know who else. Oh, yeah, Julie was there as well. Yeah, so we have amongst us the originals. <laughs> the originals. And we're going back, we have to count in decades here. Three decades, yeah. 30 years this year. So the church is celebrating its 30th birthday this year. So John and Molly are with us and thought it'd be great to ask them a few questions about the Holy Spirit, particularly their experience um, when they were living and working in another country. So without further ado, let's hear it for John and Molly. You may come. Do you want to sit, Mole, or stand? You can sit on the old. Oh, look, on here. Look, you could. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good. This is the. This is really casual. The casual table here. Go on. There we are. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Brilliant. Here we go. Actually, if I, I'll give you this one, and you can swap it, and then I'll be heard through this lapel one. Testing. Hello. Here we go. Here we go. So this is John and Molly. Now, John and Molly, I would love to hear about about your understanding and experience of the Holy Spirit back in the 70s. Were we going back to here? So 60s. 60s. So in the 1960s. <laughs> 1960s. When did you get married? 71. 71. And then. Sh shortly after you were married, you went off to work somewhere else. Where was that? We went abroad on a mission in Yemen, and we lived there. And our mission had a sort of like a rule, because the charismatic movement was becoming increasingly um, alive in churches, but it was also calling us to issues. This was a case of, do I want it or do I not? Uh, do I want God to turn my life upside down, or do I not? Sometimes it was quite radical. And so we had a, a rule in our mission that we should not speak in tongues in any team meeting. So you you were already Christians, both we of you? We were both Christians, but in my church background, I grew up in a very respectable traditional Baptist church, and then the Holy Spirit ceased working after Pentecost. I'm not quite sure how they worked it all out, but we didn't talk about it, we didn't know about it. And when I married Molly, to talk about sort of being baptised in the Holy Spirit and that was a bit new, a bit radical and I wasn't too sure about it. 
So you were, so you were married, you were working uh, in the Middle East and in that direction, and then you began to hear more about the power of the Holy Spirit, in a, maybe in a different way than led to your conversion. So it wasn't that you didn't believe that there was a Holy Spirit, it was more to do with the, the, the sense of the presence of God working in you. What, what did you hear? Like, what rumours were you hearing around that well, time? We were hearing that some people were getting a bit extreme, speaking in tongues, spiritual gifts, whatever they were, and um, it was causing, sadly, divisions, because people were finding it a little bit frightening. And um, I, I, I had this experience with our nurses, with my nurses trained earlier in the Lord, and some of the nurses had become Pentecostal, and some of us didn't. We were very traditional because it died out. The Holy Spirit died out after Pentecost. That was a sort of tradition we had. And so it caused division. We were either with it or without it. Some was a crude way of putting it, but that was it. And then, and then what happened? I don't know if do you want to chip in, Molly, any point on this. So when I know there was someone that you were talking to and you asked to pray with you, didn't yeah. you, back in the... 60s or whenever that would have been. MP3s or yeah, podca- podcast, podcasts now. Yes, and started listening to all these things from very well-known um, preachers who were preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was so, so hungry for something more, desperate for God to move in my life because I was fed up with being a half-hearted Christian. And so every evening, I spent every evening reading my Bible, on my knees, praying, crying out to God to meet with me and to fill me with his Holy Spirit. And one evening I had an amazing breakthrough, but I had no one to talk to because no one else really believed it. So um, it was very um, personal, but people noticed a massive change in my life. In fact, one person said to me, what's happened to you? Have you got engaged or something? I was so full of joy and so happy. And it made such a difference that I was I was leading a Bible club for children. And up to then, it was just really, really hard work. But after that, every week, children were giving their lives to the Lord and, and things started to happen and my life radically changed. And so I was baptized in the Holy Spirit then. And then... Um, went to Bible college where they didn't talk about it and then I went to the Yemen and met John, well no, I met John before that but we got married and then we realised that our missionary life, it was so sort of, such hard work 
And uh, John began to get humble again, and I talked to him about my experience. And so that was how our CD really began. And then what happened with you, John, when you... Well, we then started to, um, quite secretly really, I suppose, run a bit of a tape line and get tapes from England. Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> and the tapes are out there, podcasts, and, uh, and so we used to listen to his messages, getting hungrier and hungrier. And as you're talking, I think, yeah, we, we were really, I believe the Holy Spirit worked in our life at the time. We used to talk with him from time to But he seemed to be put on shelf <laughs> and then what happened later when you were in, in the bath? When you were speaking in tongues all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, oh, oh yes. Yeah, and then, and then well, I got filled with the Spirit. But then when I left the mission, we then left the mission. We simply took a wonderful group of charismatic people. I was co director at the time. And if you want to join my mission, I had to go to sign this form. I promise I won't speak in tongues until I didn't at that time speak in tongues yet. We, I think because we were in a bit of a closed situation, we weren't able to develop and grow. And so we left and started to step into the churches. When I left my first church, I asked someone to really pray that God would release me into tongues. And he prayed for me, and it was quite a funny experience, really. He said, I'm going to speak in tongues, you copy me. And it's always been difficult to copy me, actually. So I said, I can't do it, I can't do it. He said, never mind. I raised my hands in worship. That really 
<laughs> permission to raise your hand and worship. We had to resign in the end. And the Dartford yeah. church started. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, I've got one. Great. So, so just sort of in closing, so obviously that, that was, you, you were Christians. There was a, a fresh sense of the Holy Spirit baptizing you, releasing you into gifts. And then that, that then somehow propelled you into like a new, a new type of mission and church ministry, didn't it, from that point onwards? Yeah, so then we went out to Yemen the next time. Oh, yeah. then we went out to Yemen the next time, but we were with Deep on Green, and we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. That's great. Thank you very much, John and Molly. So that, that really is a, a brilliant image of what I want to touch on today, just this picture of we need the Holy Spirit to, cut, to come to Jesus at all. And to be a Christian, you have to have the Holy Spirit. So it's not like any of what John and Molly were talking about isn't relevant to you. Um, if you're a Christian and you're thinking, oh, I've not, had, I've not had that or experienced that or I don't speak in tongues, am I a Christian? No, we're not saying that. Um, we're talking about what happened at Pentecost as being something that propels people, Christians, the church, into mission and into a new experience of God. And so that's really what I want to touch on today. So we're going to have a look at only about two or three verses today at the beginning of Acts. So Acts chapter 2 one to four. Uh, they'll come up on the screen as well, but you can turn to your Bibles if you've got them. Who was around last week? We had our all-together meeting at Mid-Kent College. About two of you were there, a few more of you. So you will remember uh, at the beginning I put up some pictures on the screen. Do you remember those? Anyone remember what they were? At the bottom there was a skull and crossbones which was representing death and so that the death of humanity, sin coming into the world, and that's, that, that is what Christ entered into, into our death. And the next picture was the empty tomb, and it was the, an image of the cross behind it. So that represents what Jesus has done in his life and his death and his resurrection. And then at the top where we were last week, it was Ascension Sunday. And so Ascension Sunday, there was an image of Jesus with a cloud behind him, so Jesus ascending, going up 
it says, before the disciples' eyes, behind a cloud, into the heavenly places. And then there was one more picture which I said, that's an advance notice for the following week. Here we are of some fire, Pentecost Sunday. So it's like that sequence has gone, gone all the way around, like this high point of Jesus ascending into power and authority, this position. But when he was there, uh, what he did, was, like the first thing on his to-do list when he reached that high position was to pour out the Holy Spirit. This is what it was all leading to. So this was like the final piece of that, that circle. So the Holy Spirit then is poured out upon us, upon his people, launching the church and then carrying on like around those pictures, they were like a circle. In the power of the Holy Spirit then we're able to engage with death, with this world that is so filled with death and pain and bring resurrection life to people and round we go in the circle. So Acts 2, 1 to 4, this is the little section that talks about Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. Who's that they were? Uh, lots of the disciples were there. It was more than just the 12 disciples. There was numbers of people all in the room in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Um, that's interesting, isn't it? They were sitting. Sometimes you imagine that it's only holy when you stand up. Because like when we worship, we're like, stand. When you pray, stand. You know, sit. They, was, they would sit for it. So the, the, the launch of the church happened when people were sitting. That's good news for some of us. It's good news. So sitting is a really holy thing to do. So they were sitting. Uh, this, this violent wind came from heaven, filled the house, and then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that all separated and went around and came to rest on all the people that were in the room. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's what John and Molly were referring to. So we'll stop there. Just a couple of things to note here. While we, while we kick off, is notice it, it uses words that, that, that it's trying to explain something but can't quite exactly land on it. So it says, like wind. So the sound of something that was a bit like rushing wind. It wasn't rushing wind, but it sounded like it. Or it says, what seemed to be fire. So it wasn't actually fire, but it looked like fire. So we're grasping to explain something that's really difficult to explain. If you look through the Bible, there's lots of different images, and I'm going to give you a few of those images today, hence what's laid out on the table here. Um, there's other ones like, like water, where Jesus stands up and he speaks in John 7 about living water that is going to flow through his people. And so we, there's lots of images that are all speaking about something which is hard to, to properly explain, but it's something that we are able to experience, and it has lots of different types of experience. So people feel it in different ways, and you can, you can see that in some of the imagery. When Jesus was baptised, uh, what, what did it look like then? So from heaven, a voice came, this is my son who I'm well pleased with, so you've got the father, Jesus, the Son in the water, and then you've got the third member of the Godhead in the form of a, a dove. So there's another image there, we won't touch on that, but the dove is a very peaceful image. So it, it's not always like fire 
and kind of noise. So if you take the dove and the fact that the, the, church, the early church was launched by sitting down, that probably really suits some personality types here. Because you can get the impression in our sorts of churches, charismatic church, Pentecostal church, that it's all about the noise, the volume, the constant shouting, standing up, you know, fire. Uh, that's part of it, but that's not where the church was launched. And that, that's not what occurred at Jesus' baptism. When Jesus was baptised, you didn't hear a voice, and then the voice didn't say, fire! And Jesus didn't go, ah, whoa, again, whoa, again, whoa. <laughs> that wasn't how it started. So when you look through the Bible, it's not all noise. Sometimes it's peaceful. It's the sense of a dove coming and resting and sitting down. Amen. So what is Pentecost? Keep your eye on these illustrations. They're going to pop out as we go through. Here's a few things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to touch on what Pentecost is. Remind us of that or illuminate us if we've not ever heard of this before. And then hopefully we'll have a bit of time to respond by sitting down or standing up, by being quiet or by being noisy. All are welcome and allowed. But the important thing is that we come to God, we ask and we expect and we hope to receive. So what is Pentecost? Pen the, the word Pentecost, by the way, it means 50, and it's to do with the timing of it being 50 days after the Passover feast, the Jewish festival. We'll touch on that in a second. But the first thing is this. Pentecost is supernatural. Pentecost is supernatural. So because this was the beginning of the church, this is like the official launch point of the church, the New Testament church that we are part of, it did not start by Jesus saying, wait, I want you to wait, and I'm going to give you the gift of a seminar. Or, wait, and I'm going to give you the gift of a 10-year strategic plan of what to do. It didn't start like that. It started with something that was not human, it was not an administrative effort that launched the church. Jesus said, wait. So the, the culmination, if you put it this way, of that, that like circle of the sin and death in the world, we've got thousands of years of waiting leading towards that next image we looked at last week of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. His ascension into heaven leads to this something supernatural where they are speaking in other languages. Just pause on that. What, that is like a high point, but it's people speaking in all kinds of different languages and having an experience of God. That's what it was leading to. And it was such a powerful experience that people thought maybe they're drunk. Maybe they've had too much wine, it says. And so the launch of the church, Pentecost, is all about supernatural power and so if you've become a Christian, something supernatural has to have happened. You can't strategize yourself into becoming a Christian. You can't sit through a seminar and hope that that's done something to you. There has to be something that goes on inside a person, in their heart and in their mind, where they are born again, where there's some, something of the Spirit of God that works into them and, and puts the life, the seed of Jesus into them by the Holy Spirit. 
and sometimes that is accompanied in the moment by supernatural things that go on. Some people will say, when I became a Christian, I was speaking in tongues at that moment. But to be a Christian, you have to be supernatural. This is the, what it means to be part of the church. And I remember when I, when I came back to God myself, when I, I became a Christian when I was younger, when I was about eight, and then when I was in my early 20s, when I came back to God, it, it, it wasn't the thinking. I was thinking, I was looking, I was analysing, and that was going on for quite a while, but there was a particular point where the, the power of God seemed to come and bear down in my life, and that was the turning point. And since then, at different points, not every day, but sometimes in those years that have gone by since then, there's been supernatural moments where it's like the, the presence of God has come. I referred to one of them last week, if you were there, when I was listening, not to tapes, but to CDs. It's like the next level on, the next decade on, next era. I was listening to CDs in the car, and I was sharing last week. Um, uh, Tim Keller, who's a quite a well-known evangelical uh, preacher, passed away uh, in the last week, American pastor in New York. I was listening to some of his CDs in the car where he was talking about the gospel in a, in a, in a very like, unusual way that I'd not heard it before. And as it was happening, it was like the presence and power of God came into the car and I felt really overjoyed for about two weeks. It was like it would come and go. I felt really, really overjoyed. And that's the kind of experience I remember having when I was in my 20s and I gave my life back to God. That didn't make me a Christian, but th this is examples of how the, the Holy Spirit comes in and baptises and fills us. So first of all, Pentecost is supernatural. It is supernatural. Secondly, it is the fulfilment of a promise. It's fulfilment of what, what we can track back on thousands of years of God repeatedly saying he was going to do something, and that was it. So right back in uh, Leviticus 23, this is talking about the, the Jews, early Israel, not long after they were formed, they've been released from their slavery in Egypt, and God told them, God told them to institute a number of feasts or festivals. And there was eight of them, eight main ones, and, and there was a particular festival which was, which was a Pentecost festival. It was called the Festival of Weeks. Strange word, but it's probably to do with them counting. It was to do with the timing and when it was in the year. And so this particular festival was pointing towards something in the future. All, all of the festivals and feasts that you read about in the Old Testament, they're all pointing toward the future. So in the New Testament, there's a couple of verses in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, 16 to 17, where Paul talks about festivals or feasts. He says this, Don't let anyone pass judgment on you about questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath. He's talking about not judging one another as Christians because some of you do or don't stick to the old feasts that the Jews used to um, have to take by law. He says, don't judge people uh, about them because these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, some people will feel they want to keep the feasts up, some people feel they don't, but don't judge those that don't why not? Because those feasts were a shadow of the real, deeper, true thing 
that is to come in Christ. So when you see a shadow all around us on the floor, there are shadows around that are coming from the, 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 the chairs and different items or me on the floor. Or if you go outside and look at a tree, there'll be a shadow. And if you look at the shadow, it gives you an idea of, of what you might be looking at. And we could, if it was like a, an all-age family meeting, we could play a game where I put different shadows up on the screen and then we'd all shout out, what is this a shadow of? And you'd probably get 80% of them right and I'd chuck a few hard ones in. It would be an amazing morning and you'd say, oh, that was a really hard one. And over dinner, you'd be talking about it. Oh, that shadow game, amazing. So we would do that, but it isn't an all-age meeting. And so you just have to imagine that. So when the Bible says that the feasts, including this Feast of Weeks, that is linked to Pentecost, is a shadow, it's like you can see it in part, but not in full. You get the idea through the festival and the feast, the Jews, the Jews would have done, but they didn't quite get the full picture of how it really worked itself out in Jesus. So it's a fulfilment of what was going on way, way back then in this feast. So what they would have to do in that particular feast, it would be something that they would have to count 50 days, 50 days from the Passover feast, which was the one when they got out of slavery. So they're counting the weeks, the 50, Pentecost. And then on that day, they would travel, numbers of them, to Jerusalem. So it would be about going to the presence of God, going to where God was centred at that time, which was in a temple or, ta or a tent. You had to gather to a specific place. And then they would worship, they would come before God, the priests would do all kinds of, like, what they would wave things, the priests, like wave offerings, but they would also have to bring with them um, grain, a couple of loaves of bread. You can read all about this if you go and look in uh, Leviticus 23. A couple of loaves of bread, seven lambs, one bull, two rams, and they would do these drink offerings as well. And so animals would be sacrificed, drinks would be drunk, things would be waved, grain would be scattered, smells would go up as it's all, bu all burnt. This was all part of their coming to the presence of God, getting themselves right, but it was all about being thankful for, and it was, it was coming at a point where the harvest was about to begin, like a new harvest, and so it was, it was tied in with the first fruits of harvest. So if you start to think about all that imagery there of coming to the presence of God, marking a moment, counting the days, and harvest, because you know what Pentecost led to, harvest, not of human harvest and, and wheat, but actually of souls. There's something being, being hinted at there. And then years and years later, the Jews even began to tie it in with what God did with Moses on Mount Sinai. So on Mount Sinai was where God gave the people of God through Moses the law. And if you read the story of what that was like, you find that in Exodus 19, when Moses gathers the people around this mountain, this again is after they've come out of slavery, that, that it's around the time that the feasts are beginning to be instituted, but they're given the law at that point. So they're, that the Passover's happened, then later on, they're given the law afterwards. So after they've been, if you like, saved, released, freed from slavery, 
think of us as Christians, there's this latter moment where they gather around, the presence of God comes, and it says in Exodus 19, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's clouds, there's loud trumpet sounds that are coming from heaven, and there's fire. And the people were terrified. So you've got this, the people there looking up around the mountain, Moses has gone up, and it's like, it's like this crazy scene. And all of those things represent the presence and power of God. Yeah? And if we were there, we would be looking on thinking, this is scary. Look how big and powerful the God is that we follow and we worship. And into that context, God comes and he gives the law. And so later on, the Jews began to link, link that up as well. So when we get to Pentecost, we've had our, our, our salvation in Jesus. We've been freed from slavery. But later, 50 days, this Pentecost moment comes for the disciples. That's what we're remembering today. The presence and power of God comes. And it, it, there's fire involved. There's something similar to that gathering to the mountain, except they're waiting in an upper room. The presence and power of God comes. And what are they given? The law? A seminar? They're given the very presence of God in such a personal way that he comes and rests on each of their heads. How amazing is that? So years and years before, it's up a mountain and they can't get near it and they're given law. And the law explained to them all the things they had to do if they stepped out of line and the reasons why they couldn't really get that near to God. But the good news was that God said that I am going to write on your hearts, he says that in Jeremiah, a time is coming when I will write what's written on tablets of stone on your hearts by my presence directly. I'll start to like engrave in your hearts and minds. This is what Pentecost was doing. Jeremiah 31, 33, you can read that. So it's supernatural, it's the fulfilment of all that. How amazing is that? Then thirdly, it's evangelistic. As, we said, uh, as I said a moment ago, it leads to uh, uh, the mission, it leads to moving out, it leads to thinking beyond just yourself. So when Pentecost occurred, think of how like, clever that is of God. Isn't he clever? He knows, you know, how can you think all this through to work all this stuff out for thousands of years, weave it all in to different laws, festivals, and then you bring it to this point. He's not in a rush. Like if I was God, I'd be thinking, I'd be like, oh, God, I've got to wait another like 20 days. You know, it's got to be timed after 50 days because then it chimes it in with this festival. So God's very patient, not in a rush. 50 days hit. The presence of God comes and, and that what he chooses to do is give them this very supernatural gift where they're speaking in other languages and, we, and they seem to be mostly earthly languages. They're not heavenly languages, which sometimes tongues are. And we know that's the case because when they spill out onto the streets and they're, and they're making enough noise to be heard, it says there that in the city at that time, why was there people in the city at that time? Why were all the Jews there from all the other nations? Because of the festival. What did they have to do for that particular festival? Gather to Jerusalem. So they're all there from all these different nations. Isn't this clever? And God says, I'll pour my spirit out on you 
and you're all going to be speaking in other languages and they say, we can hear declarations of the glory and wonders of God in our native language. Verse 8, if you read on past Acts chapter 2. So that then leads to evangelism. So it's like they can hear, and all these people are hearing this, it's evangelism because then a few verses later it says, Peter stood up among them and says, brothers, right, we're not drunk. We haven't had too much wine. What you are seeing and hearing today is exactly what you've all read many times and you know from Joel 2. So he takes them back. Say, this is how it all fits in. Joel 2, didn't God say to us that there will come a day where he will fill us and young men and old men will dream dreams and he will begin to put his spirit in us? This is it. So he, he preaches the gospel. So the early church is birthed in supernatural power and it leads very quickly to evangelism. So when we think about church life, we have to start there. Church is definitely community, it's definitely cooking pot roast and soup for one another and having people round for dinner, but it definitely has to be also supernatural and evangelistic at its core. It's moving out, this is where God started it. And it says there, verse 41, chapter 2, the bit we read, just carry on reading, it's all in there. It says that after that sermon, about 3,000 or more were added into the church in one day, one minute. Think of that as a sermon. This is like Billy Graham, this is evangelistic crusades beginning here. And then we find fascinating things linked in with it. So if you go back to Leviticus 33 which I'm sure you'll all be busy doing tonight as you go off to sleep, um, and you read the bit, it's only about that long, but about the Feast of Weeks in Leviticus 33, you find all the stuff about what to do, and the offerings and all the rest of it of lambs, but then you also find in there, in verse 22 of Leviticus chapter 23, it says this, Do not reap the harvest to the edge of the field, but leave it for the poor, the foreigner, and others that are strangers living among you. So pause there for a minute. So what's happening here, the languages are coming in Pentecost, it's linked in with this, this festival of weeks, but even at that point in that original festival, there was something embedded in about people that are not part of you. So God, God's intention was always to feed, to provide, to provide grace for those that are on the edges. So when Pentecost comes, and there's an overflow of the Spirit, and there's all these languages. This is like the, the people of God. This is like Israel are not, not harvesting and taking everything with them. It's like it's being left, more than just left. It's like the gates are being thrown open, and we're saying to the strangers and the foreigners, come in. It's not just the edges. Come right in to the field. Come and eat. Come and take hold. This is God's invitation to the whole world. How amazing is that? All, all tied up with Pentecost. So it's evangelistic. It's joyful. That's the next thing to say. It feels pretty good. So they, it looked like they were drunk on wine, it says, verse 13 of Acts 2. But it wasn't wine. But it, it, it looks like they were pretty happy about it. And, and amazing that. Like imagine if all that I've just said was true, but they were a little bit miserable while it was happening. It'd be like, oh, really clever God, tick, 
really, really amazingly generous of you, tick, but don't feel that good. I'm feeling a bit depressed and miserable about this whole thing. I don't know why I've had like a long day, late night, we've been waiting about for 50 days, and it's just, I'm sitting down in a room for ages, it's just a bit dull. But joy, it's like joy overflowing. Maybe they're drunk. And so there's a parallel there with, there's a parallel with, with, with drinking that's going on that you find in the New Testament. So in Ephesians 5, it says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, go on being filled, as John said, be filled, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in tongues and hymns and psalms, giving thanks to the name of the Lord and, uh, and God the Father uh, for everything that he's done for you. So there's something to do with drinking. There's like parallels that are being drawn there with, with it's, not, it's not drinking. Like if this was vodka, maybe it is, you'll never know. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's not, it's water. But if that was vodka and I was, I was drinking this down, you know, you would expect to see an impact as I go on through that bottle. Uh, but not just that, is that you would know, because you'd smell it on my breath, um, you, you, you wouldn't be able to find it in me. If I said, get it out, if you didn't get to work with the stomach pump quite quick, it, it would permeate me. The alcohol would start to permeate my body. And so there's, some, there's an imagery in scripture where it's talking about living waters, don't get drunk on wine. It's not the same as, instead of getting drunk on wine, get filled with the Spirit. So it, it goes into you and it permeates you in a way that you can't get it out. It, it goes right into your system and, and you, can, you can smell it on people's breath. It's like, like Molly said earlier, people were saying to her, oh, what's up with you? Have you gotten engaged? It's like people can see something's different when people are filled with the Spirit. The smell of it comes out in different kinds of ways. So when you drink, so it's saying in Ephesians 5, don't get drunk on wine. Why? Because the, the, the parallel things are not quite as good. And so we're told that when you, when you get drunk on wine, and we know some of us from our experience before we were walking with God, it makes you louder, it, it makes you lose inhibitions, it can make some people more aggressive, it makes people feel like they're having, having fun in a certain kind of way, but often things happen that you think, oh, I don't know about that the next morning, or what have I done? So it leads to certain things which the Bible says leads to debauchery. Whereas when you get filled with the Spirit, it's, it's different, but it leads to the sorts of things that you think, I'm really happy about that. I don't regret that. But, it, but it, it, it still, it's still good. It still feels good. It's better, to, it's better to be joyful than miserable. It's better to be filled with happiness than it is with depression. We'd all agree with that. Otherwise, none of us would ask for prayer when we're feeling down, would we? And so a trait of being filled with the Holy Spirit is joy. It's amazing. So if, if you pause, you say, am I allowed to be joyful? Happy is a kind of maybe a more shallow word, but is it okay, God, if I'm filled with happiness and joy? Yes, that is a trait of the Holy Spirit. 
filled with the Holy Spirit means that you are joyful. And then finally, what it means is that you are filled with ongoing fruit that leads to a life, like a Pentecost life. So it's not just joy, but there's all kinds of characteristics that are the evidence of the Spirit's presence in a person's life. So it's not just a momentary encounter, that's what I'm getting at. Like You can pray, you can ask, you might feel something, you might not. Like John, you might get prayed for, doesn't feel like anything's happened. And another day, suddenly in the night, you're speaking in tongues. That's secondary to what it means to be filled with the Spirit in an ongoing way, is that you're filled with joy and other things. The fruit of the Spirit is, is peace and faithfulness and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and love. So all of those things are ongoing things. So if you're someone that's filled with the Holy Spirit, those characteristics will be growing in you and overflowing, and one of them is joy. But all of those things will be part of your life. And we know also in Galatians, that's where it speaks about the fruit of the Spirit, it says that if, you're, if the fruit of the Spirit isn't there, other things will be growing in us. And so it says, acts of the flesh, life without God, it will mean things like misery and depression and impatience and harshness and cruelty and lust and anxiety and anger. And it says there in Galatians, those that live like that won't inherit the good things of the kingdom. So when we think of our lives, like I, I doubt anyone in here would opt for that list out of the two. You know, would you rather be unkind, depressed, miserable, losing your temper all the time, can't control your lust, on and on. There's, only, there's hardly anyone in here. If anyone, you know, I like to say hardly anyone, maybe there's one unusual person that says, I'd love to be that person. Being like that doesn't mean you're joyful and happy. When you're filled with joy, when you've got peace, all those things lead to a happy person, it's, it's overflowing, it's starting to, to permeate you. So that, that the image of the water, then you've also got in scripture the image of fire. So when the Holy Spirit came and, re and came to rest, hope there's no smoke alarms in here, when the Holy Spirit came to rest at Pentecost, we're familiar with images of fire, and so when people go into uh, holy buildings or temples, they often light candles because they know there's something about that. And so what, what, does, what does fire do? Just like water, it, it, it permeates stuff, it consumes things, it spreads like evangelistic, it spreads onto others, and, it, and, and the heat creates energy. Can't remember any physics from school, but I know enough to know if you have loads of loads of fire and it's really hot, you can create massive, massive amounts of energy. So that imagery, so you've got to think that imagery resting on us, in us, consuming us, the, 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 the water, the living water's coming into us, and then you've got the, the, the rushing wind. And so when you think about wi wind, it can blow. It blows where it chooses, but imagine like a balloon. When balloons are blown up, the, the wind goes in, but the balloon's getting bigger. 
And so as God is breathing on us and blowing on us, as there's a, like a lifestyle where we're going on being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like there's an enlargement that goes on in us as well. It's not like, it's not like as God blows in you, you reach capacity and then it can't get any bigger. As God continues to blow and as you come before him, we enlarge. But it's true that there could be things that, you know... So maybe some of you feel like that. So that's what life will do. It will come and maybe that's what you feel like as a Christian. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but being filled with the Spirit is about whether the, the, the fire is burning and increasing, whether the, 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 the amount of living water is surging through us. Or another image, if you look up on the ceiling there, that boat, which we, th th those boats are put in dockyard or seaside churches, so when people gather, they look and they're reminded of their loved ones. So when the dockyard was open, there was 15,000 people working here, and there were people going out to sea as well, many, many, many years ago, they would look up and pray. And so you, we know that for a sailboat to work, it requires both positioning of oneself as well as the wind coming and doing its job. So for us as Christians, being filled with the Holy Spirit means that we do the work in terms of rigging the sails, aligning ourselves, turning toward God, but the, the power is actually coming from something and someone else. So as a Christian, being filled with the Holy Spirit means that a lifestyle, a lifestyle like just as a boat is pushed and moved along by the wind, we, we live a life that's pushed along by the power and the Spirit of God and that helps us to reach our destination. I've got a kayak at home which I, I, I wheel out, it's nearly getting to that time of year again and the, the, the power needed to kayak yourself along it's quite a lot, it's quite wearying, and I wouldn't fancy going too many kilometres in it. It's completely different. So if, if our Christian life is a kayak Christian life, then it, it feels quite weary and miserable. But what we're looking to do is to hoist the sails and to catch what God is doing so it becomes a characteristic of our life and it becomes a direction. So our life is filled with obedience and taking steps that are in step with where God is leading us to by his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there we go. So there's the, the three images. We've got fire, we've got water, the living water, and we've got the, the wind or the breath of God above us and there in those balloons. And so be encouraged that being filled with the Holy Spirit, Pentecost is all of these things. Pentecost, yes, and being filled with the Holy Spirit even today, it's a moment. It's something we can come and seek for. Being baptised in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit again. But it's also a character. It's a character and it's becoming filled with the Spirit and living like it and overflowing with fruit. And it's also a lifestyle. It's a direction and it's how we're living. What we give ourselves to and the choices we make. But it's most certainly outward. It's something that we, we connect with others. The Holy Spirit was poured out on a group. It's not just an individual experience. It's not like we just satisfy ourselves with lone drinking, drinking by ourselves. We are, we are coming with others and we experience and receive the Holy Spirit 
and we live out a life in the Spirit as we love one another and are patient with one another and so on. We put it into practice. So it's outward, it's connected to others, links in with the mission of God. And so why would we not want to be filled this morning? You know, and that's where we'll, we'll end. We'll pray with one another that we might be filled today, but that if not, that maybe God will come and, and it will be stuff he'll be doing in you this week. That if you come before God and say, yeah, God, here I am. Fill me. Let me catch the wind in my sails of your spirit this week. You might do in a new way. You don't know what God's going to do. So that's where we'll end, by praying for one another. Maybe we can worship again for a moment as we lead into that. And let's come expectant. And let's remember that this is how keen God is to meet with his people, that he promised it all those years and years and years ago. And he fulfilled his word. He's already done it. He's the same God, isn't he? He's not changed his mind. He's not become more reluctant. So he wants to fill us. Wants us to, to be blown across by the wind of his spirit again today. So let's do it. Feel free to stay sitting. If you want, uh, if you want to stand, you're welcome to. But if you want to sit and receive, then let's sit and receive like the early church did. And let's ask the Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, we come to you today and we're praying, Lord, that you would fill us and that you would strengthen us. Lord, we thank you for the, the certainty that we have, that you're good and that what you've done 2,000 years ago and what you promised thousands of years even before that, Lord, we know that, that you're still giving out, that you're still pouring out, that you're still sending your fire. So we ask for that this morning, Lord. Maybe just in your own hearts, quietly out loud, you can say, yes, Lord, fill me today. Ask Jesus. He's ascended to heaven. Say, Jesus, thank you. You've poured out the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit today. I want to be baptized in your Spirit. If you've not known the Spirit of God as, as any kind of experience before, say, Lord, I'd, I'd like that. Holy Spirit, baptize me this morning. Let's worship together.